0: Hi, all. My name is Lara Klimpel, and I'm a member of Women in Securities Finance, and I work at the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, or DTCC. WISF has asked me and my colleagues, Michelle Hillary and Ann Bergen, to speak because DTCC is experiencing a historic moment in that, for the first time ever, the three systemically important financial market utility businesses of DTCC are run by three women, the three of us. So we're here to talk to you briefly about the businesses we run and also about the experiences we've had in our lives and our careers that have led us to the roles that we have. And I'm going to ask each of my colleagues to describe the business she runs, but to put a little bit more context around this between the three of us. We run businesses that process transactions that are worth two plus quadrillion in dollars annually. We are responsible for a significant portion of the infrastructure of the U.S. financial markets and are entrusted with its smooth processing and function. So no pressure. Just pivoting then to talk To each of us about first i'll have each of us introduce ourselves in terms of the businesses we run and then we'll start talking about our backgrounds and experiences so michelle i'll start with you
1: okay hello everyone and thank you so much for having us here today and for listening in today my name is michelle hillary i'm the general manager for nscc dtc equity clearing business nscc clears and settles virtually all of the street side activity within the u.s receiving activity and from over 50 different trading venues and DTCC is the U.S. Central Depository. Over yeah. to you, Anne. I'm Anne
2: Bergen. Again, thank you for having us today. I run our NSCC Wealth Management Services, which processes mutual funds, insurance, and alternatives in that business, and the DTC Asset Services business, which includes underwriting, securities processing, and corporate action processing.
0: And Laura Klimpel, I am the general manager of the Fixed Income Clearing Corporation, which is the clearinghouse subsidiary of DTCC that clears and settles transactions in U.S. government securities and U.S. mortgage-backed securities through its two divisions. So that's who we are. Let me start off with a question for each of us. And Anne, I'm going to start with you. Tell me about how did you decide to go into the finance industry? You know, what was the path that led you there?
2: So interestingly, that was not exactly a decision. When I graduated school, I was kind of looking for a job that wasn't going to be a career at the time. I ended up working in a bank and I got a call from a headhunter looking for somebody that would come work at Dreyfus Service Corporation, which was a mutual fund company, now actually melded into the Bank of New York. But at the time, it stood on its own. I did not know anything about mutual funds. But it was interesting that at the time, the money fund rates were 20%. So it was really, everything was booming. And so I went there and went directly into a training program Learned about mutual funds, and then I was selling mutual funds on the phone like shortly thereafter. <laughs> and so that kind of was the beginning of my career, I guess is what you would say. Awesome.
0: Michelle?
1: Yeah. So if you didn't hear or pick this up from my introduction, I grew up in Ireland and I came over here after college. I was fortunate enough to get a green card. But when I was going through college, I would say the Celtic tiger was probably more like the Celtic cub, but things were beginning to happen. You could start to see these sort of emerging roots and emerging businesses. And so the idea of studying business in college was very much on theme. It was kind of where we all thought we would end up going. And it certainly was where I ended up going. I had career advice, coming from all angles saying, go do this, go do this. Anyway, I ended up in New York then after that, and New York plopped me on a trading desk, and that was fun and exciting. But soon after that, I moved into sort of other parts of the business and have been here since.
0: Well Yeah. I mean, my own experience is similar to Anne. I sort of fell into finance. (laughs) Definitely not a conscious decision. I would say the conscious decision that I made five years out from undergrad was to go to law school. So I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. And the very typical path when you leave law school is that you go to a law firm. And so in my third year of law school, they send you a little form. You know, My law firm said, okay, pick the practice that you want to try right? You know, to start you off in your legal career. And so, you know, it was like MA and and litigation and so on and so forth. And so I was like, I'm going to pick financial products and derivatives because I have no idea what that is. Right. And I thought I'm going to try the hardest, most complicated thing I can find first. And then, you know, it's got to be downhill easier from there. And so that was kind of the beginning (laughs) of my career path. That put me sort of dead center in the middle of Dodd-Frank and the financial crisis leading up into Dodd-Frank and the regulatory fallout which then led me on a path of moving into positions that brought me into the what I'll call the regulated financial market infrastructure and ultimately to this role. But it's definitely been a meandering path for me.
1: So Laura, I got to ask you, do you think it's gotten easier? (laughs) Did you actually see that to begin at the top and go down?
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, but I mean, it was the theory was it was like I was going to do some really esoteric like derivatives type of practice. And then when I went into M&A or lid or whatever you know those are the type of things that law school actually trains you for I don't know I mean it's been a long time but at least at the time I didn't know what a derivative was I had no idea what central clearing was no clue about any of it but you know again I thematically took a risk right yeah. but has it gotten any easier <laughs> <No>.
2: <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> I would agree with that, though, that it is a little bit meandering, right? And you go, right. <laughs> to job, and then the next job comes about. From Dreyfus, I went to a boutique distributor that was a startup, and it was really fun. It was really fun. And then we took it public, and then we sold it. And so all of those things, what would go through my mind often was... These guys have no idea that I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, And so I, re- I really felt that. And from that, that's kind of some of the advice that I give younger people. Like, if you can do this job without thinking about it, it's the wrong job. Right. So, yeah. you know, I'm not sure that I was that comfortable at the time doing it, but I did it. Yeah. That's- you got
1: to be really... Okay with being uncomfortable and just trying to figure it out, right? That's come across in all three of us, like whether right. it's MA or, or or mutual funds or even hopping on a plane and coming to America, you know, you end up taking these big sort of chances on yourself and they worked out for us, right? It's been good.
0: All right. So switching gears, let's talk about now being in business lead roles. What tools, both personally and professionally have we used to help us to get our arms around these new roles we have and our new team? So for that one, I'm gonna start with Michelle.
1: Yeah, Laura, that's just a great question, isn't it? Because any time that you end up with a new opportunity, you have to think to yourself, well, what am I doing here? What am I doing with this team? Where do I want the business to grow? How do I want it to develop? And I think when we take on these new roles, in many cases, we've got this idea, but I think for myself, One of the most valuable things that I can do is lean on the people that are already in that business line. So that might be your new team, that team has the history, and they know what we can and can't do. Now, you may be able to shed a new lens on that and really find new opportunities within that can't space. And I think that that's one of the great things that happens when you take on a new role, you can bring that external perspective in. But at the same time, you want to listen to your folks, and then you want to spend the time really talking to your clients and really understanding the opportunities that exist And how you can shape them based on your own experience, based on your own knowledge, and then listening carefully to others so that they help shape the story as well. But it's really about looking for the new opportunities and how you want to drive the business in new ways. And I just, for me, I think there's many very structured tools that you can use to uncover some of these stories. You know, all of that's built into design thinking type conversations. But at the end of the day, it's the people feeding you the information that's most important because that's really how you get to the quality level of the story.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, clearly the people that are in the business, a lot of the people at DTC particularly have been in this business for a very long time. And the detail that they know about how these systems run and what the processes look like is really remarkable. So from my perspective, certainly dealing with the people, hearing what they have to say, bringing them into the conversation. And engaging with the clients at their level as well is how you really can kind of route out what are the opportunities here for improvement. We are undergoing a very large modernization initiative at DTCC. And so getting into all of that detail, we have found that the people are just, without them, it would be impossible, if not very difficult. And so I think, you know, depending on the business that you're looking at, what are the opportunities? And some of the other businesses, we've had the opportunity to bring out some really exciting new products, taking on the alternatives market, the private markets. But again, it is really about what are your clients looking for and how are the people, what is the talent and the expertise of your people and, and how you tap into that?
0: I mean, I think the only thing that hasn't gotten said, but I think it's an undercurrent of both of your remarks is really this issue of building trust, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you come in and you take over a new team, a new business, you have a trust building exercise. that's crucial, right? To people being able to respect you as a leader, they need to trust you. They need to trust your judgment. They need to trust, you know, your support of them and their paths and their expertise, right? And to your point, and same with the clients, right? Especially in my areas where I'm, I'm so focused on the development of business, having very solid, Relationships with clients where you're not just coming to them once in a blue moon when you have a new product to roll out, but having a regular cadence of conversations where you're understanding their businesses, you're understanding their needs, you're looking at areas where you can collaborate and partner to the betterment of both firms, you know, I think is crucial when
2: you're taking on a new business. Yeah, I think a parallel to that, Laura, is your credibility, right? Exactly. Right. And the respect of both the clients and your team.
1: And so it takes a little while potentially to learn the language. So again, you have to do your work. Yeah, and you have to define internally and externally who your key partners are. So you don't get anything built, done, developed and out to market unless you have really tight relationships internally. So who are the people that can move the business along or move it in the way that you wanna move it? Who are those that can solve the roadblocks for you? I think that's part of it as well. How you navigate the firm.
2: Yeah.
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) And the clients and their firms, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. So switching gears and talking a little bit about sort of the issue of diversity, women in leadership, can you both talk a little bit about what challenges that you've faced and overcome being female in a leadership position where the environment is still, I think fair to say, typically male dominated. What do you think in terms of how the industry has changed over the course of your careers in terms of? of its approach to diversity. Give me your thoughts on those topics. And maybe Anne, if you'd be willing to
2: start. So I'm older than you guys are. And so my experience, I think is probably different than yours a little bit in the early days. If I look back now, it was not a great spot for women. Mm-hmm. Right? It just wasn't. But I never really thought about it as being a woman. You just kind of thought that's the way it is, right? And a lot of the people that I've worked with over many, many years would not be okay today. But at the time, the comments that typically men would make or gestures and things like that, they'd really be in trouble now. So I think the good news is that the environment has changed tremendously. I mean, I think, you know, the fact that I think DTCC has a very healthy diversity plan. I think there are a lot of women in the organization. I don't think anymore of women as diverse candidates for a role, right? We have to really look at, are we making opportunities available to the right people? And so we want to make sure that we are seeing a diverse slate. That was just never even a thought going back a lot of years. So I think we've come a long way in a very positive direction.
1: I mean, I'll add on here. I never really had the problem of being shy in the conversation. (laughs) That's just not me. I I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I grew up in a family where I had four sisters as well as myself, so five girls and no boys. So we were always like built out to expect that you just do it, right? But I would say while I had similar experiences to Anne and the sort of early days, I think one of the things that you notice or that I've noticed over the years is sort of a hesitancy to be the voice in the room. And I think that as an organization, DTCC has invested a lot in our women to help them overcome that in a sense. But I do think that that was a challenge on one level. And I think we have to really continue to be very active in making sure that every voice is represented at the table, whether it's female or anyone else. You know, we all know the stats around why diversity matters, why it helps the organizations. And I think as leaders, it's really our responsibility to be very mindful of that and pay attention to that and make sure that we are listening to everybody. And I think it's something that I'm seeing more and more prevalent, regardless of who the leader in the room is. You know, when you think about what it's changed, you probably both had this experience as well. There were so many times I was the only at the table. And I'm starting to see, at least from a gender perspective, that that's diminishing quite a bit. And so, you know, we're a great example, right? Three of us here sitting as GMs across DTCC. So I do think to Anne's point, we've come a long way, but we can't get lazy, right? Because old habits die hard we got to make sure that we're continuing to push for that level of respect and voice through every conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, you know, coming up as a female in the industry, I never felt, and I think I was fortunate in where I worked, right? I never felt like the other, just because I was the woman, even though I was a lot of cases, the only woman at the table. But I think when I really started feeling different was when I became a mother. And I think that mm-hmm. is one of the area where it's not the fact that I have the child, it's the stretching of my time and having to be always you know, juggling childcare and family responsibilities versus the career. You know, There were stretches of my kids being babies and toddlers where I didn't sleep more than two to three hours in yeah. right, yep. and for years.
1: <laughs> and then trying and, to maintain your mental capacity in that, and like just be sharp yes. and on point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember. And, Right. You were there, Michelle, right? Uh, You know, watching me go through this. And so I think that's when it can be a lonely, really difficult experience. And the burden based on biology still sits with women. And I should say DTCC, I think is a very good place for a working mother and certainly has supported me through being a mother two times. But I still think, you know, as an industry, there's more to do to make sure that different lifestyles are respected. It's the quality of the work you produce, not whether or not you can go on the golf outing or the drinks after work. Right. You know, that that ought not to weigh in favor of someone who just happens to have less family responsibilities. So I still think there's some work to do in the industry as a whole on that. But I would say that's the only place where I've noticed it. And I think we're doing a lot better on that front than we used to. But I still think there's more that can be done to recognize people with varying family situations.
2: To that point, I thought our response during COVID was really considerate, is what I would say, right? And accommodating that, you know, when we didn't know when we would be coming back to the office, that it was recognized that moms would have an additional level of anxiety about when are we coming back, not knowing that, and when do I need child care? From that perspective, I think, and we continue to be quite flexible in that regard. So I'm hoping that that's easier for, you know, those, for women that are coming up in the ranks. I do think, you know, kind of overall, the maternity and paternity policies are incredibly liberal versus where they were. Right. Right. For 30 years. So I think we're making good progress there kind of all around. Yeah.
0: Agreed. Okay. So I think we probably only have time for one more question and I'll start with Michelle. What advice would you give to others who might be interested in taking on a new role and might be otherwise afraid of the risks and challenges that it might present?
1: Yeah. So with respect to the risks and challenges, I think it's. I've got a pretty Concise answer on that one. Life is really dull, unless you take some risks and challenges. So like, let's not be dull, right? So I think that would sort of sum up my attitude on that one pretty quickly. I do think that it just lends for a much more interesting experience as we walk through this world. You know, what advice I would give to people, I really think it comes down to be loud enough to state your position. I have a number of female mentees, and one of the things that I come across again and again and again is this fear of saying, Well, I want this or I want that. So I do think that we have to be very vocal about what we want, and we have to say, I would like this stretch challenge. And so be very honest to the growth that you want with your manager and outside of your management change as well. Because I think sometimes you don't know where these opportunities are going to present themselves. So as you're walking in the corridor, you know, find out from somebody what's going on in their business, say, that sounds awesome. If you need, you know, sort of an alternative perspective on it, I'm willing to engage. I do feel like there's this hesitancy to sort of step up and take that seat at the table or this, that fear of seeming too forward. And I will say there's many of our colleagues who are not embarrassed to say, I want this, I want more. So I think that that would be sort of my primary advice. Anne? I think that's good advice. I think the other thing
2: too is don't, you know, to the point, don't be afraid of a challenge. And as I said before, if you know how to do this job, it's not the right job for you. So you do have to find your opportunities. The other thing that I would say though, is I know personally, I never had a mentor that knew they were my mentor. I would watch those that were smart and successful in a manner that I could relate to. And so watch and learn and just build on that experience and don't be afraid to make a mistake. As Michelle said, you have to take the risk and the risk is sometimes make a mistake.
1: Yeah, we've all had these periods and moments where we've been afraid. It's just like, get over it. You know, you have to get over it. And I don't mean that flippantly, because you got to talk to yourself and talk yourself out of that. But fear can't be crippling. Yeah.
0: And the only thing I would add is that the biggest risks I've ever taken have been my biggest rewards, right? I never regret the risk I take over my life. It's the ones I didn't that I passed up because I was afraid, you know, whether it be jumping into derivatives, legal practice, when I had no idea what that was going from being a lawyer to running a business or moving to Tampa from New York city, you know, like I've taken some big risks for calculated, you know, reasons, but you know, every single one of them, I've been very satisfied with the outcome and feel it was ultimately the right decision. So I would suggest people take the leap. Yeah. will not regret it.
2: There's kind of been this discussion over time on work-life balance. And I think work-life balance, I think it's getting better from the perspective that people are understanding that it is a balance and it's not 100% your personal objectives and 100% your professional objectives. You have to balance those and understand when you are going to give on either side and if you can balance that out. And I think you both have done that remarkably well. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks.
0: Thanks. My mentor calls it work-life blending because it's never even, right? Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. work dominates, sometimes family dominates, and you just
1: have to keep juggling. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what allows you to pop up in one area or another area is building out like a good support structure around you. And your professional support structure is going to be very different than your personal, but both need to be vibrant, loud, and available to you at the point that you need them. That's the other thing, like there, this idea of us being sort of these powerful, do it on your own kind of thing. That's just a myth and a lie. Like we all need people. So Absolutely. not forgetting to pay attention to those who respecting and valuing them, giving back to them when they need the same from you.
2: Absolutely. You have to know what you value, right? And what are you willing to risk? Mm-hmm. And you make decisions. It's not by default. You have to make decisions as you move forward. That's true. That's so true.
0: All right. Well... Thank you both for dedicating this time to chatting. And I want to thank Women in Securities Finance for having us. I think this is a great opportunity. And we look forward to further engaging with the community in this great organization.
1: Great. Thank you all. Thank Thank you. thank you.